We're continuing this morning with Jesus' words to his disciples on the night before he died. That we've been looking at the Gospel of John for almost a year now, and we've been especially looking at that night before he died when Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room. Last week, we looked at how Jesus prepared his disciples to face worldly opposition. That he was talking to them about the time to come after he ascended into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit when they would be hated by the world, but strengthened in order to bear witness to God's truth. And that's really the time that we are living in right now, the time after Jesus has ascended into heaven and the Spirit has come and we continue to bear witness. But in our passage today, that is the second half of John chapter 16, Jesus is looking at those days on Easter weekend. He is talking to his disciples about Friday, the day he died, Saturday, the dark day when he was in the tomb, and Sunday, the day he rose from the dead. He is speaking about the sorrow that they would feel on those days that would be turned to joy when he rose again. So with that context in mind, I'd encourage you to open up your Bibles, or you can use the bulletin where we have the sermon passage printed out in full. You can use the pew Bibles in front of you. You can use your own Bibles or device. We are in John chapter 16, beginning in verse 16. John 16, 16. We'll read through the end of the chapter, which is verse 33. Let us hear the word of God. It starts with Jesus speaking. He says, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father... So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament But the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask. And you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. 
In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father Himself loves you because you have loved Me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Let us pray. God, we give thanks for Your Word. We thank You that You sent Your Son, Jesus, to live among Your people. To talk to them. To speak to them in words we can understand. To bear with them in their foolish ignorance. And that You, by Your Spirit, have faithfully preserved these inspired words for us so that You speak to us even today. God, thank You that You speak and that You tell us the truth. So God, I pray that in spite of my own sin and my own foolish ignorance, that You would help me to faithfully proclaim Your Word to clearly explain and apply it to us and that You would give us ears to hear, that You would open our hearts and minds, O God, that we would hear You speaking today through Your Word and that You would work by Your Spirit and Your Word in us to make us more into the image of Jesus our Lord. In His name we pray. Amen. So when we're looking at our passage today, we immediately see the disciples don't know what's going on. Now, that's not that unique for the Bible, but that's very much what's going on in the first part of our passage. Our passage starts with a mystery the disciples couldn't solve, but we know the mystery. It's kind of like if you're playing a game of charades, but you know what that person on the other team is acting out, that you gave them the clue. And so their team is sitting there racking their brains, giving wrong answer after wrong answer after wrong answer. And you know the answer. You're like, guys, how are you not getting this? That's kind of what it's like to read the opening parts of our passage. Jesus is telling his disciples a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. And the disciples are just like, what? What is what are you talking about? And we're sitting here going, guys, duh, we know that Jesus is referring to his death, which is going to happen, as he says, in a little while. 
that he will no longer be with them because he will be arrested, executed, and buried. That all of that is about to happen in the next 24 hours from when Jesus spoke these words. But then, just a little while later, Jesus would see them again when he rose from the dead and appeared to them on that Easter Sunday. We know this is going to happen. And the disciples didn't know. They were in the dark. It was a big mystery to them. And Jesus keeps them there in the dark, using figurative language that only we, after the resurrection, can understand. Language that they, before his death, they couldn't make sense of. And he uses this analogy of a pregnant woman delivering her child to describe what the disciples are going to go through. He's telling them, guys, you're pregnant and your water just broke. That's pretty much what he's saying to them. Problem is, baby's not coming until Sunday and it's like Thursday night. You know, it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a rough couple days. That seeing Jesus arrested and executed would be like experiencing the intense pain of childbirth. But once they see Jesus risen from the dead, it will be like the joy of a mother holding her newborn child. See, these disciples will weep and lament and feel defeated when Jesus is killed. They will be sorrowful in those moments, as Jesus says. And the world will rejoice at Jesus' death. That the religious leaders are going to be toasting at Passover that our plot to kill Jesus worked. We are victorious over this Nazareth guy. But that time when the world rejoiced and the disciples were sorrowful would be short. Very short. Because he would rise from the dead and turn their sorrow into joy. Now for many of you in this room... This is super obvious stuff. Like, heard it, know it. It's literally the main events of the life of the most important figure in all of human history. We've heard it before. But the disciples were living this in real time. Jesus was still just a rabbi from Nazareth who had done some pretty remarkable things. They could not wrap their heads around it, even though they thought they knew what was going on. In verse 29, they think they've got it made. They, they understand. And what's weird is we can't even understand what it is they think they understand. Like, they're that confused. You read it and you're like, how do you think you know what's... Like, you don't know anything, guys. It's kind of like they're saying, oh, now we get it. And you're like, no, you, you don't get it. And you're not going to get it until after the resurrection when Jesus will clearly explain things to you. That until then, they would remain in the dark, not knowing that his death would lead to victory. But for us, that mystery has been revealed. We know that Jesus' death was not defeat. It was an intentional sacrifice on our behalf. We know that the Jews and Romans were not victorious over him, but he willingly offered his life as an atonement for our sins, that he took the punishment we deserve so that we can be forgiven. And that his resurrection shows that he has the power over death, assuring us that we can have eternal life through him. And that 
God the Father sent Jesus to do this. To redeem rebels from the sinful world so that we can be adopted as children of God. And that this salvation is for everyone who believes. Everyone. We are not in the dark at all. The mystery that confused the disciples is the good news the church has been proclaiming for 2,000 years. And so even though the disciples remained in the dark for those couple days, Jesus didn't want them to stay in the dark. He says in verse 25 that I'm going to explain these things to you plainly. He did not want them to stay in the dark forever. He wants them to know about his victory, but it had to happen first. And so we should then take heart in knowing Jesus wants us to know about his victory. That we don't live in those dark moments of Saturday before the resurrection. We live after the victory. And so Jesus wants us to know. And looking back at this passage, we can see that Jesus even though he's being mysterious, is pointing to his victory. And he is specifically pointing to three treasures or spoils of war that he will share with his followers. That he is going to war on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday with sin and death. And he is going to plunder those enemies, bringing the spoils of war to us. And he shows us three of those in this passage, three that we get to share. The first spoil of Christ's victory that we get to receive is the love of God. We see that treasure, especially in verses 26 and 27. Jesus tells them in that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the father on your behalf. Just that part right there makes it sound like, hey, guys, I'm not going to talk to God on your behalf. You're like, what did we do? Did we do something wrong? Why aren't you going to do that for us? But then he immediately tells them, here's why. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. It's not that he's saying, I'm never going to talk to the Father for you. But it's, you get to talk to the Father directly. That yes, I'll talk to him for you, but you, because of me, can talk to God the Father yourself because he loves you. And that we are loved by God because we are united to Jesus in loving faith. That by trusting in him as their Lord and Savior, the disciples were reconciled to God the Father who deeply loved them because God loves those whom belong to his son. That if you belong to Jesus, you are loved like Jesus. And this love is seen most clearly in our invitation to pray. To pray directly to God in the name of Jesus. Now, as we talked about a few weeks ago, you might have been here a few weeks ago, the phrase in Jesus' name is not some magical incantation, some magic words that if we stamp it at the end of our prayers, it's like, oh, good, we got it right. We, we said the hocus pocus and it's going to work. No, to pray in Jesus' name means that we can only pray to God because of Jesus' victory. That if Jesus didn't do what he did, we would have no entrance into God's throne room. 
And that we pray in Jesus' name also because we want to pray those things that line up with what Jesus wants for us in the world. We recognize He knows best and that our prayers should line up with those best things. So this this love of God that invites us to pray should encourage us in two big ways. First, we are told that the Father will give us whatever we need when we ask. Jesus repeats the promise twice. He says, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And then just one verse later, ask and you will receive. The Father is delighted in us. He wants us to ask and he wants to give us what we need. Just as any loving father would delight in giving those good things to their child that they know they need. You know, one of your kids comes to you and their shoe's broken and they're like, I I need new shoes. Now, they didn't like drill holes in it with your power drill. It wasn't one of those things. It just wore out. Well, sure, we can get you something. Absolutely. We delight to give them the things that they need. And God wants us to ask. And Jesus tells us we will receive those things we need. Because God loves us. But it's not just that. It's not just giving us what we need. This promise to pray in Jesus' name is an invitation to join in God's kingdom work. He is signing us up for what He is doing. Imagine you're at your house and it's getting close to spring. I see things going up, you know. Imagine you're planting a garden at your house. You have your seeds, your topsoil, your shovel, you're ready to go, you're in your dirty clothes, you're getting your work started, and your young child or grandchild comes out and asks, can I help too? Now, it might not go fast, but you're excited that they want to join you and are taking an interest in what you're doing. Now, imagine you're working for a little bit and they're having a good time and you're talking and they say to you, What if we planted these over here? And you're delighted that they're taking an interest in your project. And they're coming up with ideas that fit your vision for the garden. How much more is God the Father delighted when we pray to Him for things He wants to do? When we come to Him and say, What if we prayed for these unbelievers to come to faith in Jesus? What if we prayed for these hurting people to be comforted? What if we prayed for my brothers and sisters in Christ to grow in wisdom and holiness? What if you helped me learn how to forgive those who have sinned against me? We have a loving Father in heaven who delights to answer those requests, to invite us into that kingdom work in the name of our victorious Savior. And so one of these great spoils of war that Jesus is telling His disciples about is this love of God we enjoy in prayer. Know that belongs to you. Receive it. The second spoil of Christ's victory that we receive is the present peace of knowing that we have a God who works all things for good. Look at verse 33. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. 
Now, Jesus is saying these things. And when he says these things, he's meaning like, hey, we've been together for hours and I've been talking for chapters. It's like everything I've said has been designed to give you peace. That means all of the warnings, the predictions, the promises of the last few chapters have been designed to bring peace. But this peace is not an easy, comfortable life free from trouble. Because the very next words out of his mouth after he says peace is, in the world you will have tribulation. Tribulation is a fancy Bible way of saying hard stuff. The world's going to be hard. And so the peace we have is not an absence of difficulty, nor is it an absence of conflict, because just last chapter he said the world will hate you. So peace is not we're going to get along with everybody and they're all going to like us and it's going to be kumbaya. No, that's not the peace we are promised. So this peace is something else. It is an inner sense of calm confidence knowing that our sovereign God is in control and He is moving all things for our good. Well, how do we get that kind of peace from Christ's victory? Well, I... Two ways we're told in the passage. First, Jesus knows our stumbles ahead of time. And that should give us peace. Consider that Jesus is saying all of these promises to a group of his closest friends who in just a few short hours are going to abandon him and run away at the first sign of trouble. And he still makes these promises to them. Consider that one of the people he's making these promises to is Peter who three times before dawn is going to deny even knowing Jesus. And there is no asterisk or footnote in your Bible that says all of these promises are good except Peter. No, he's included. Jesus tells them the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home. You will leave me alone. Jesus knows we are sinners. He knows we are unfaithful. He knows that we are going to screw up over and over again, and yet, He still loves us. He died to forgive us of all these sins and stumbles, even the ones that haven't happened yet. And that gives us peace. That gives us peace because we don't have to worry that somehow we are going to like undo the victory that Jesus won over our sin. We are not somehow going to invalidate the cross because we have messed up. Think about it. These same disciples who scatter and flee, Jesus calls back to himself and says, all right, guys, you are now my church leaders to build the church. Have at it. The very same people who abandoned him, he says, go. Be my witnesses. Build my church. We should have peace because He knows our stumbles ahead of time. The second reason this passage shows us we should have peace from Christ's victory is that we know Christ's faithfulness ahead of time. Consider that even though the disciples did not understand what Jesus was saying that night, His Word still makes sense after the fact. They didn't understand it 
But just because they didn't understand it didn't mean it was nonsense. It makes sense. Consider that even though the sorrow they faced was tremendously painful and heartbreaking, it was still replaced by greater joy. The disciples could not see how. The disciples could not see why on Saturday. On Saturday, they did not know how this was going to work out. They did not know why it was going to work out. But afterwards, they could see. And that should give us peace. Because for many of us, it feels like Saturday. That many of us are in the midst of troubles right now. That we are sorrowful. That we are weeping. That our hearts are anxious with worry and fear. If that is you, Jesus has given you these words to give you peace even in sorrow. Because just as the disciples' sorrow turned to joy, so also every pain and suffering that we now face will turn to joy. How? I don't know. Why? I don't know. It's Saturday. But Sunday's coming. When Christ returns and all of the sadness and sickness and death, all of it is turned to joy. We can't see how, we can't see why now, but we can have the spoil of peace because He is working all things for good. And so our second spoil is the peace we are given. And that leads up to the third spoil of Christ's victory that we can now receive. And that is forever joy because Christ has already conquered the world. Look at verse 22. We see this joy is promised to us. Jesus says, so also you have sorrow now. But I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice And no one will take your joy from you. That's a good promise. No one will take your joy from you. That you will rejoice and that joy will be yours forever. And that joy is yours today. And that joy is tied to seeing Jesus again. That's what he says in verse 22. You will see me again. That's what brings about joy. And the reason is because seeing him again was seeing him again after the crucifixion. The ancient world is full of stories of gods and heroes who did awesome things and then suffered defeat. Perhaps the most famous story is the story of Achilles, who was like superhuman and awesome. He just had like one little weak spot. It was no big deal. It was like way back there on his heel. No problem. And someone got him there. He's done. It's over. He's out. Jesus' story didn't look all that different. He had done miraculous works. He had gained a big following. He seemed untouchable. And then he was horrifically killed. He appeared to be another mortal hero that was gone too soon. But when the disciples saw him risen from the dead, they would rejoice forever. 
Because if the cross couldn't kill Jesus and keep him dead, like what's going to do it? If that didn't do it, if suffering the wrath of God for the sins of God's people couldn't keep Jesus down, then what is? Nothing. See, our movies, our novels are filled with characters coming back from the dead, but those are just stories. He's saying, you will see me again. That Jesus actually rose, he actually appeared before his disciples in his resurrected flesh, showing his victory over sin and death. And he tells them about that victory in verse 33. He says, in the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Not, I will overcome the world. As if it's like a future possibility. Not, I am overcoming the world. As if, hey, we're in process right now. We're still loading that victory. You know, status bars about here. Nope. I have overcome the world. Completed. Decided. Finished. The, world, the word for overcome is the word for conquer that we saw in Revelation 2 conquer, to be victorious, that he has conquered the world. The sinful world in rebellion to God has been conquered. Sin and death have been defeated. Jesus says we should take heart because that victory cannot be undone. That means we have joy forever, joy that cannot be taken away. Nah, it can't be right. Are you sure? Are you sure our joy can't be taken away? Okay, let's try to take it away. Try to take your joy away. See, it doesn't matter if all the world governments outlaw Christianity. Jesus has already won. It doesn't matter if the number of Christians in all the world goes down to 12 again. Because Jesus has already won. It doesn't matter if another well-known pastor falls into moral scandal because Jesus has already won. It doesn't matter if the world celebrates sin and rewards evil because Jesus has already won. It doesn't matter if believers are persecuted and even killed because Jesus has already won. It doesn't matter if Bethel Church someday has to close its doors and shut down and be demolished because Jesus has already won. So imagine yourself that night with Jesus in the upper room. Imagine yourself getting ready to walk out to the Garden of Gethsemane and imagine Jesus looking you in the eye with a calm confidence saying, guys and gals, It's going to get hard. You're going to have a lot of times of deep sadness. But take heart and never forget, I have won. I am the true king and the victory is mine. Now, Jesus is not just calling his shot, hoping that's going to work. No, 
Jesus can say that with such certainty before his arrest, before his crucifixion, before his resurrection, because when God determines and purposes he's going to do something, it's as good as done. Jesus knew the victory before it even happened. He always accomplishes what he promises to do. And so the world today may fill us with sorrow as we grieve death, as we suffer sickness, as we stumble in our own sin, as we face the world's hatred. But don't worry. It is not a mystery how it's all going to turn out. Christ has already conquered. The victory has been revealed. And by trusting in Him, we can share in the spoils of His victory. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank You that You are a conquering King. Thank You that Jesus came and did what we could never have done. Defeating sin and death. Thank You that You share the spoils with us. God, I pray that You would help us to trust in Jesus. Whether we have never trusted in Jesus before or whether we've been trusting Him all of our lives, strengthen that faith in Him. And may we receive the spoils of Your love, O God. May we receive the spoils of peace no matter the circumstances. And may we receive the spoil of a joy that is untouchable because Christ is one. No matter what we see in the world today, no matter what we suffer, may we never forget the battle is over and has been decided. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.